Yes? All right. All right. Oh, that's beautiful. There we go. All right, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. All right. Now, I got a lot of competition right now. I got sunshine, I got screaming kids, I got short attention spans, um, I got a belly that's growling, uh, but I'm up, uh, the, Lord, the Lord's up for the task, so. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I don't think so, no? Am I okay back there, Terry? You hear me all right? All right, because I have a little speaker I could blast you, but that might blast you. Um, if you call yourself a Christian today, can you just say amen? amen. Okay. Well, if you call yourself a Christian today, you are a contradiction. You are a walking contradiction. You are different. Some of you are just like, amen. You know, I know. You are different. You are at variance with the world. You are something of an enigma to the people around you. You're a contradiction. Think about it. We follow Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most high God. Amen? Amen. He's the most high God, and He humbled Himself to the lowest hell for us. That's a contradiction. What is somebody who's higher than the highest doing lower than the lowest? And you are a son of God if you're saved. You're a child of the king if you're saved. You are the aristocracy of heaven if you're saved. And yet, you're a servant down here. You've you got no reputation down here. And in 2 Corinthians 6, if you follow Jesus Christ, everything about your life is a paradox. Everything about your life is an anomaly. Everything about your Christian life is a contradiction. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, in talking about the ministry, Paul is going to list seven contradictions about the Christian life. And he says right there in chapter 6, verse number 8, at the end he says, You're as deceivers, yet true. As unknown, and yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As chastened, and not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. And if seven is the number of completion, then you are a complete contradiction today to this world. So we're going to talk today. Here's our lesson. Here's our title. The Christian contradiction. The Christian contradiction. Because if they didn't understand Jesus, they're not going to understand you. So we're going to talk about how your life is a contradiction. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you today. We praise you today. We ask for the breath in our lungs, the ears to hear, and the strength to just receive your word. 
And if somebody might be sitting here today not sure if they are a Christian, a follower, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, may today be the day of someone's salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now stay with me there, right there in uh, verse number uh, 8. We're going to just run through seven things. I'm going to do some low-level flying. I'd say I'd run around, but I'm not going to be playing any volleyball today. I'll be playing with sp- in spirit, but I'll try to talk really fast and really loud to hold your fleeting attention spans, okay? Number one, about your Christian contradiction, they think you're liars, but Christians are the only ones telling the truth. It says it right there in verse number eight at the end of the verse. It says, we're as deceivers and yet true, right? It's not getting any, good catch. It's not getting any easier for a Christian to proclaim God's truth. All right? They want to make the Bible hate speech. They want preaching banned from the public square. They want permits and and quiet zones. They want to shut you up and shut you out. They treat the Bible-believing Christian, that's you, like he's an enemy, like he's a troublemaker, like he's a deceiver of some sorts, like we're telling something that's not the whole truth and God's truth. What did they say about your Savior? When Jesus died, you know what those rabbis and those Pharisees, they came up to Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. They all thought Jesus Christ was lying. They all thought Jesus Christ was a deceiver and he was the only one telling the truth because he is the truth. And that tomb was empty, just like he said, the angel said. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Are you following him? Guess what? The world may call you a deceiver. The world may look at you and think you're telling some kind of tall tale, but you're the only one that's telling this world the truth. It's just like it was in the days of Jesus Christ. You're telling the truth, and they call you a liar, and they call you a storyteller, and they call you crazy, just like they called your Savior crazy. Because everybody says, we're all okay. And the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're saying something contrary to what everybody else is saying. And they say, you're nuts. I'm okay. You're okay. Hey, no. The Bible says we got a problem. The Bible says there's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. The Bible has a warning that we're supposed to proclaim, and they want to shut you up and shut you out and say you're a deceiver. Why are you saying that? You're a troublemaker. You're a pestilent fellow. They said of the Apostle Paul. But you know what? We're the only ones telling the truth. You know what they say? They say, everybody says, hey, any way to God is okay. You got your way. I got my way. I did it my, right? (laughs) Regrets, you'll have a few. If you do it your way, right? 
Everybody's saying it's okay. Oh, you got your religion. I got mine. Don't make any waves. But um, but um, bum bum. Guess what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. They say, oh, no, no, no. Shut that up. Shut that up. You can't say that here. They think you're a deceiver. And yet, you're the one telling the truth. Number two. Look at verse number nine again. The Christian looks like and nobody to the world. But you're a somebody to God. See right there it says, as unknown and yet well known. Let me ask you something. If I ask the average person today, name me a famous Christian, a famous Bible-believing Christian, how many could they list? I don't know if they'd get past Billy Graham, right? Would they get past Billy Graham? Right? But if you know anything about Christian heritage, you should be able to rattle off some people. Hudson Taylor and William Carey and Martin Luther and, you know, Samuel Goforth and uh, Mary Slessor and, you know, Corey Ten Boom. Like, you should be able to rattle off some Christians that are great heroes in the faith that have gone before us. But you know, a lot of Christians, guess what? We're a bunch of nobodies. We're as unknown. And yet, well-known. You're a contradiction. Listen, so is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ never wrote a book. Jesus Christ never held an office. Jesus Christ never went to college. Jesus Christ never visited a big city. Jesus Christ never traveled more than 200 miles outside of the place where he was born. He was a relative nobody. And yet, Jesus Christ, and if you're listening, folks around here, Jesus Christ literally changed the face of history. And all of history today hangs on a date of His coming to planet Earth when He literally rocked the world. The lowly Nazarene who did none of the things that we equate with greatness changed mankind's destiny and change the course of history so much so that when you look at your phone or you look at the newspaper and you say, what date is it? 2023, from what? All of history hangs on the coming of the lowly Nazarene who was unknown and yet well-known. You know what? Go to 1 Corinthians 4. Let me let you turn a little bit if you got a Bible. Man, I want to run around right now. <laughs> That's why every once in a while I might stand up. <laughs> First Corinthians 4 verse 9, Paul's talking about apostles. He says, For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. He jumped down to verse 13. He says, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying the greatest Christians I know, the greatest Christians I know, the greatest Christians who are alive today, they're made to feel like they're nothing, like they're the stuff you'd scour off the bottom of a pot 
or the back of a boat. Just the filth and the refuse and the nothing of the world. The greatest Christians who ever lived. That's how they described themselves. People that you and I, we couldn't hold a candle to their devotion. And the way they died and the way the world treated them like filth, like enemies of the state and treated them like off-scouring. But this group of largely unlearned and ignorant men turned the world upside down. You have a Bible today because of the faithful word that they handed down. You have doctrine today because of the things they preached. You know the gospel today because you're built on the foundation of the apostles. Guys that were crucified upside down and dragged through the streets and treated like wicked men. You know how many people know us as the church who holds the signs on 34 and Lloyd? Oh, they don't act like they know us. We're more known than you think we are. Now, we're not trying to be known, but they know who the Christians are. You'll bump into somebody, somebody, oh, yeah, you're the ones on the corner. I've seen you, right? And my dear brethren, you may feel like a nobody in this world, but if you're saved, you are a somebody. Who do your friends turn to when they need prayer? Who do people seek out when they wonder about God or the Bible or eternity or afterlife or when tragedy strikes? Who do they seek out? They don't turn on CNBC. They ask you. How many times you had somebody take you in a closed room and say, what about this, Pat? What about this? Could you pray for me about that? They may marginalize you now. They may pretend like you're a nobody now, but they know that you know somebody. They know that you have access to God. And they may put on a game face and say, I don't need you. I'm good. Oh, you're a whack job. You're nuts. But let me tell you something. They're watching you and they know who the Christians are in their lives. And if not them, guess what? Heaven knows your name. Go back to 2 Corinthians 6. Let me give you number three. Like I said, I'm doing some low-level flying here. Number three. It seems like the Christian has no life. But we're the ones who are really living. Right? 2 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, at the end, uh, in the middle, as dying, and behold, we live. The Christian is called to a life of sacrifice, a life of self-denial, a life of cross-bearing. That's why even though there's so many of you here today, that's why there aren't 10,000 of you here today. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
Paul said, I protest by your rejoicing. I die daily. Paul said, every day I got to deny my flesh, take up my cross, and follow Jesus Christ. And the world sees that and thinks you're nuts. Deny yourself? Why don't you eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die? The Bible says you're crazy. The Bible says, oh, get a life. Anybody heard that said to you? Get a life. Get a job. <laughs> get a life. We get that on the street. Get a job. I say, I do. I'm going, yeah, yeah, I know, on Mondays, but this is my other day. Amen. Or you get to get a life. Get a life. Get a life. People will actually put off getting saved because they figure, I got a lot of living to do. They become Bon Jovi fans. They start singing, it's my life. It's, you know, I just, I got to live. You know, I just got to, I got to live my life, Pat. I just got to live my life. But you know why Christians are willing to sacrifice today? Because they know we got a far better tomorrow. Amen. And Christians know that this life is just a vapor and eternal life is what really counts. Eternal life is what really lasts. That's what really is the thing. This isn't the thing. You got that? This ain't the thing. The next thing, that's the thing. This is the dress rehearsal for the thing. And the quality of your time in the big thing is how you practice. We're talking about practice again, right? How you practice in this. I know you can't believe that this is not the real thing. But this is not the real thing. This life is kind of a dress rehearsal, a training ground, a, a proving area to see who gets saved and who's counted worthy of the kingdom. Christians are supposed to know that. You know what Jesus said in the Old Testament? You hear me, Matt Mayetta? All right. Whoso findeth me, findeth life. Let me ask you something if you're saved. What have you really lost? For being a Christian. Maybe some bad habits. Maybe some filthy language. Maybe some devices that would have taken you to the hospital or to hell. Maybe some anger. Maybe some pride. Maybe some lust. Maybe some foolishness. Maybe, maybe you just lost hell. <laughs> you know that? Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Hey, since I've been saved, I've really been living. Haven't you? I remember the days before getting saved, being, feeling dead on a Sunday morning. Not alive, where you want to sing God's praises and enjoy God's air and fellowship with God's people. You know what the Bible says? The world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You do what God says is what God says you're supposed to do and that's going to go on forever. You know what God says? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You trust Jesus Christ. That's God's will for you to be saved. Guess what? You live forever in paradise with Him. You live as a believer and you would do what God says to do and you lay some things aside. Guess what? There'll be some things laid up for you in heaven. 
A lot of you know the name, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was an American Christian missionary. In 1956, on January 8th, he was one of five people killed during Operation Orca, an attempt to evangelize the Harani people of Ecuador. He was only 29 years old. And you and I might look at that and say, what a waste. My grandmother might look at that and say, que pecado. What a sin, what a waste, what a terrible tragedy. You know what Jim Elliott wrote in his journal long before his life was ever taken or God ever took him home to heaven? He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see the life you have right now? It's not yours. God's lending it to you. You got this little dash between two dates. You know it's the best thing to do? Take your dash and give it back to Jesus Christ. Somebody said, give your life to Jesus. He could do more with it than you can. So Christians look like we're dying, but we're alive. Amen. 2 Corinthians 6, we're still there. Next one. Sometimes the Christian experiences hard times from God, but God will never destroy us. He says, as chastened and not killed, You see, sometimes, I don't like this doctrine, sometimes a good father has to correct and chasten his children. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll let you look at a verse about that. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Sometimes the child of God has to endure a good spanking. And the Christian may be chastened, may go through hard times for a season in order to be made better. God corrects you and God gives you that little spanking for your good, for your edification, for your growth. But the lost, the lost are destined to be destroyed in hell. That's their thing. See, you get a little spanking now that God makes things great for you in the hereafter, in the later. The world may look like they're getting away with everything now, And then the hammer gets dropped on them in the hereafter. 
That's where unbelievers perish, by the way. They go to hell. Jesus Christ preached more about hell than he did about heaven. He preached eight messages in three and a half years about hell. Hard to find him preaching too much about heaven. I think it's because he knew it was a real place. And I think it's because he desperately doesn't want any of you to go there. But that's where you're going. That's why that's not a popular message. You're going to hell if you're lost. You're going to hell without Jesus Christ. You're going to hell. You might live 80, 90, 100 years and have this glorious life with the beautiful house, the wonderful vacations, the family affairs, and that's good. I'm glad you enjoyed those things. But that means your best days are behind you. And the worst are yet to come. You see, we might go through some things. We might be chastened, but it says, we're not killed. We're not destroyed. We're not ground out. We're not lost. You know what Jesus said of his sheep? He said, I give unto them, my sheep, eternal life. And they shall never perish. I am never going to perish as far as God is concerned. Jesus said, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. People die all the time. Christians die all the time. Not as far as God is concerned. Oh, their bodies might cease from breathing, but they never died. Somebody said, death is just like passing from one room to the next. And that's what it's like. It's just like your eyes close and you wake up in glory. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. You think if God loves you so much, He'd take you through something dangerous and scary? Oh, no, man. If, you know, I hope the rapture's tomorrow. I hope it's today. But if it's not, you know what it's going to be like? Just like closing your eyes in sleep. And waking up in the presence of God. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we might be chastened, but we're not killed. 2 Corinthians 6, let me give you number 5. I'm moving pretty good, right? I'm moving. You say, you don't move so good. Well, my mouth still moves. Watch out. I still got a Gatling gun behind these two lips, all right? 2 Corinthians 6, look at verse 10. The Christian. We're talking about the Christian contradiction. Let me give you number five. The Christian may be sorrowful, but deep down, he can always rejoice. It says right there in the beginning of verse 10, as sorrowful, and yet all, yet always rejoicing. Just because you're a Christian today doesn't mean you're exempt from sorrow. Amen? Amen. Okay. I want to make sure I'm in the right pavilion. We weep, don't we? We weep over the sin we see in our own lives every day, don't you? Tired of this flesh, tired of this, this mind, tired of this body, tired of just these, this, these, these things in our members that betray us and taunt us and trouble us. We weep. We say like Paul, oh wretched man that I am, 
Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We weep over the sorrow sin brings to others all around us. We see what sin does in our friends' lives, in our families' lives, in our our nation's lives. We just see what sin is doing to our world. It's like a a cancer that just is rotting away and just, just eroding the fabric of everything good. If you don't think that, keep on smoking crack. We weep over the separation that sin reaps. For the wages of sin is death. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Right? It's just, it just uh, we see that, 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 that sin work itself out and just take some people to the grave. And it, that separation brings sorrow. But you know what the Christian knows? The Christian knows that weeping may endure for a night. But joy cometh in the morning. We know that. We got to know that. We got to hold on to that. Right? We know that in the morning, Jesus Christ is going to change our vile body. We know that in the morning, Jesus Christ is going to make all things new. We know that when this night, which is far spent, finally ends in the morning, He's going to reunite all the brethren together with Him, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, so we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Let's look at Revelation 21. Let's look at those famous verses. Let's just see them again, shall we? Revelation 21, verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And, and there, was, there, was no more, there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. That's your home. Amen. New Jerusalem. Coming down from God out of heaven. Prepared as a bride. Adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. Man, if we, stop, if we stopped right there, we'd be like, Woo! Amen. Amen. But verse 4 even gets better. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. He said, Guys, beloved Christians, we have hope that the best is yet to come. And we can rejoice. Even when our heart is breaking, his comforts can still delight our soul. 2 Corinthians 6, let's go to number 6. I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. 2 Corinthians 6. Verse number 10. 
Christians look like they don't have anything to offer. But we have everything to give. He says, as poor, yet making many rich. Maybe you've never done this before. It'd be good for your ego. You know what it's like to go around to a neighborhood of some affluence and knock on the door of the biggest, nicest house and have the chime go off for 30 seconds and then a door opens and they look at you and like, what are you doing here? And you say, I'd like to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I like to tell you about something you desperately need. And they look at their house and they look at you and they give you that look. Like, what do I need? You're going to give me a piece of paper that's going to tell me something I need? I got the proverbial cattle on a thousand hills. You know? You ever had that look? It'd be good for you to get that look once in a while, to get that look. And I'll admit, earthly speaking, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of influence. We don't even have a building. (laughs) But you know what Peter and John said one day outside the temple? He said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee. And I'm not going to be able to make anybody walk today because I would have done it to myself about ten times. But if you go to the book of James chapter 2, go to James chapter 2, We have something that is invaluable. We have something that is priceless. We have something that we could give that the world needs. That if you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian, you need. James chapter 2 verse 5, the Bible says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him. God said, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He says, you're a bunch of knuckleheads. We're a bunch of misfits. We're a bunch of outcasts, and I'm the leader of the gang. God said, I picked you because you're crazy enough to believe me. And I chose the ones who maybe didn't have a cattle on a thousand hills and decided to trust the one who did own the cattle on a thousand hills. God says, I didn't pick Washington. And I didn't pick, uh, you know, New York City. And I didn't pick all the great metropolises of the world and all the leaders that abide therein. You know where God said the truth resides? It resides in a believer. The poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. And we've got something to give. Dare I say, I'd like my five minutes on the microphone. It might be my last five minutes. I might see a red dot end up like right here, you know, maybe like one minute into the speech. But you know what? If you've only got one message to preach and one song to sing, let it be about Jesus. Because he's the one the world needs. Not our church, not our way of living, not our Judeo-Christian ethics. They need Jesus. They need the gospel. They need the Savior of the world. And we know Him. And we've got Him. 
I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And if you look at the last verse of the book of James, chapter 5, look at verse number 20. The Bible says, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You might be thinking, what do I have to offer? But that gospel that you've got, that treasure in earth and vessels, guess what? When you give it to somebody else, it might save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. You know, the story is told about a woman who left her nephew her Bible. And he was upset. Everybody got the TV and the house and the this and the that. And all he got was her old Bible. And he was upset. And he slammed that Bible down on the table. He said, all I got was Auntie Auntie M's old Bible. Until he opened it up. And saw within every page, a $100 bill was put in between every page. And he realized, wow, I got a treasure inside this Bible. And brethren, I don't have a Bible to give you with $100 bills. But the illustration is clear. There is a treasure. There are unsearchable riches in here. And if you know anything about this Bible, you've got jewels and diamonds that you've got for yourself and your family and the people around you. So you might seem as though you're poor. Yet you can make many rich by just sharing what you know from this blessed old book. Because in a hundred years, everything you own will be worthless. Everything you can put your hands on will be meaningless. But the Word of God will still be a timeless treasure. And what you've done with it will still have been reaping dividends forever and ever and ever. 2 Corinthians 6. And 1 Corinthians 3, our last stops. 2 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 3. Number 7. And finally, look, I had seven points. Look at that. you got to give me some props. Seven points. Number 7 of the Christian contradiction. And this is the ultimate Christian contradiction. We don't have anything down here. But we have everything. You think about that. We don't have anything. We don't have anything. But we have everything. Number 10. As having nothing. And yet possessing all things. You know, Jesus Christ, your Savior, the King of the universe, was homeless. Soldiers gambled away his only earthly possession, some clothes. And he was buried in a borrowed grave because of the kindness of his friend. And you and I want what we want. The greatest Christian who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, was alone in a Roman jail before he got his head cut off. Jesus Christ looked like he had nothing 
but he was received up into glory. The Apostle Paul died a, died a lonely, martyr's death. He said, everybody's forsaken me. And he said, there's a crown of rejoicing waiting for me, laid up for me. You know what that tells me? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll end right there. That's our great contradiction. You still hear me, Matt Maeda? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul says in verse number 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Don't you know God's in the middle of this? The temple's not the building. The temple's, this is talking about the corporate body of Christ. He's in our midst and in our bodies, but in our midst. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men. For all things, watch this, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ's. And Christ is God's. What does it say in Romans? All things work together for good to them that love God. And he says right here, all are yours. You just keep loving me. All are yours. I'll work everything out for you. All are yours. You might feel like you've got nothing. But you got everything if you got Jesus Christ. So my brethren, let's not lose perspective. Let's not lose sight of all that we have in Christ. Are you saved? You have the Holy Spirit in you? You have access to God? You have a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? You have a home that's secure. You have a present that's, that's real. You got a past that's erased. 
You got friends that love you. You have a book that you could trust. You have a church that would wrap its arms around you. You have just a purpose for living. You have hope that endures beyond the darkest days. You have light at the end of the tunnel. You got a sun that shines in your heart and a sun that's going to rise one day with healing in its wings. You have a, a not cunningly devised fable. You got a rock to put your feet on. All are yours. And you're Christ's. And Christ is God's. But if you're saved, you are a contradiction. And your walk, what you're doing today, confuzzles people. Because you're alive today, but you know that your real life is yet to come. That's weird. (laughs) I see you touch you. Not going to taste you, right? I see I can poke you, right? Pinch you. But see, that's not really me. Amen. My real me is coming. Amen. And we're going to enjoy today. Have a good time today. And as much as you'll enjoy today, you long for an eternal tomorrow with Jesus Christ. Amen. That's a contradiction to be here and not here. Amen. But can I say this to you also, to our visitors perhaps, or anybody sitting here today who may not know Jesus Christ? That if you're not saved, you're also a contradiction. You don't confuse people, but your way checks God's purposes. You're alive today, but you're living like this life is going to go on forever. When you know it's not. You just have to open up an obituary page and realize it. And you were created to fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. And you were never meant to go to hell. But if you do, you'll have contradicted God's revealed will and His plan. That all would come to repentance. That whosoever will would take the water of life freely. So we're going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to say, if you're not saved today, will you call on Jesus Christ today? Or will you maybe, if you had a friend, invite you, will you sit for a few minutes throughout the course of the day and maybe understand what is the gospel that God gave to you? What is this great gospel that God has for you? Will you get saved? Will you let your life remain a contradiction to God's plan? That would be a terrible tragedy to let your life remain a contradiction to God's plan and not call on the Savior that loved you enough to die for you. Let's have a word of prayer. Father,